Hello and welcome to Muppet Sational, the UK's biggest Muppet Show podcast, hosted by three huge Muppet fans. Join us each week as we dive into an episode of Jim Henson's classic variety show, now finally available on Disney+. This week, it's Season 2, Episode 14, starring the bedazzled and bespectacled Elton John. It's time to get things started on the chronological, explorational, conversational, Muppetsational! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Muppetsational. I'm Lewis Chandler. I'm Jade Turner. And I'm Emma Chandler. And we are here this week, as we are every week, to discuss another episode of The Muppet Show. As you would have seen from the title of the episode, we have a special guest. Uh, our guest this week is the writer of the New York Times bestselling Jim Henson, the biography which we shamelessly read through <laughs> the entirety of the first season and paid no rights for it. Uh, he has also written George Lucas A Life and Becoming Dr. Seuss. Please welcome Brian J. Jones. Hey guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Brian. Hey, I'm so glad to be here. I know it's behind the scenes, but I promise this time I have my sound going correctly. We've tried this before. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose we could admit now, so this is actually not our first time uh, meeting Brian. We did actually, <laughs> we actually discussed the Steve Martin episode of The Muppet Show with Brian, and we had a lovely, Fantastic. like, conversation. <laughs> Until... Uh, unfortunately, that was... <laughs> we then lost it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I uh, lost one quarter. It. I view. lost it. I'll take. The oh, I mean, well, yes, but you know, <laughs> we don't, I don't want to direct it. You know, so it was lost, lost to the ether, and it only it exists now only in our memory. Uh, but now this one, we will make sure. And a lovely memory it was. It was. It was. So, we were, uh, so, but Brian was very lovely, and uh, he agreed to uh, come and join us again uh, to discuss uh, the Elton John episode. Although we have asked you these questions previously, Brian, it has been a, a few months since we uh, we last uh, asked them to you so we'll ask them a couple of them again just so the uh, the audience at home can be filled in how did you first get into the muppets so i always like to say that i'm sort of muppet generation 1.0 in the sense that if you're older than me you didn't have muppets for at least part of your life um if you're my age and i was born in 67 which makes me super old um, you've had Muppets your entire life um, because I was sort of Sesame Street generation 1.0, meaning I was two when Sesame Street came out and I was, I think, turned nine the summer that the Muppet show came out. And, you know, so they've always been part of my life. So so I would say I've been a Muppet fan my entire life. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. I mean, obviously, you know, us all being born in the, the sort of the late 80s or early 90s, um, the idea that there was a time when the Muppets didn't exist feels very strange since they're just such a cultural touchstone for us. They seem to be kind of permanent in some way. It seems odd to think of Yeah, this. I mean, it's like, you know, when I was working on Jim Henson, my mom would say, oh, I remember, you know, my mother and I used to watch Rolf on the Jimmy Dean show, and I would get very outraged about that when I was a kid. You know, uh, she, I would say, no, no, mom, there were no Muppets back in the old days. And then, of course, my mother was right. Rolf was on the Jimmy Dean show in the 60s. Um, but that was a Muppet, <laughs> but it wasn't quite mm. the Muppets. You know, we didn't have the Muppets really yet. Uh, we didn't have the whole Sesame Street gang and, and you know, what we now consider the classic Muppets. So, you know, if you if you were born in 55 or later, you've had sort of a Muppet in your life. But uh, I'm sort of the first generation that had the Muppets around all the time. Yeah. And it must have felt really exciting that like, I mean, I guess when you were a toddler, maybe there wasn't that recognition that Sesame Street was being made just for you. But possibly when you got to Muppet Show, like that you were the perfect age for both of those two 
core texts, I guess, of the of the Muppets. What I think is so it's so hard to, and even now I still can't articulate well enough. It's so hard to make people understand that, like, when the Muppet Show first came out, you know, nobody knew who Fozzie was, nobody knew who Miss Piggy, or like we didn't know who any of these characters were. And I remember reading in TV Guide back in the days when everybody read TV Guide, uh, the little you know blurb on it and the special and the you know seeing the little picture of it and, and like didn't know who anybody was. And that's why I think Jim was really smart in those first few episodes to bring in Ernie and Bert. Um, and as I said in the as I said in the book, it let you know you're looking through the windows of the right house, even if you didn't know who the occupants were, at least. Um, but it, but it's it's so hard to make people understand. Like apart from Kermit, we didn't know who any of these characters were. Um, so it was a learning experience for all of us as well. So it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things that it, it's so hard to believe there was a time when even those of us who consider ourselves as having grown up with the Muppets had to grow up with the Muppets. And mm-hmm. since we had to learn who they were, we had no idea who any of these characters were. I just remember watching those early episodes and being like, you know, finally when Ernie and Bert showed up, it was like, oh, okay, here's somebody I know. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, when Kermit's there. But it was, uh, you know, it was a really kind of cool learning experience now, too. But it seems amazing how quickly, I mean, I suppose, once the Muppet Show launched over the sort of the year and a half, you know, by the time we reached this Elton John episode, the fact that, you know, we, we just watched the Rudolf Nureyev episode last week and the fact that he specifically asked, like, oh, I really want to do a number with Miss Piggy. And Elton John is like, oh, I've been waiting for this forever. Like, the fact that they became such a sort of phenomenon, like, to the point where, you know, we are getting guests like Elton John coming on to the show whereas you know i think they were in that first season trying to just like rope in anybody who was sort of uh, you know over in the uk and available yeah i mean the, you're, you're exactly right i mean that first season is basically bernie brillstein getting clients and friends to do him favors mm. as i said like nobody knew who these characters were nobody knew anything about them and they're starting to get a rep mm. but the Nuryev episode was was sort of the game changer for them um because mm. that was the moment that when people saw him do it they went oh okay um, you know, this is this this is this is fun and this is art and I can be very serious and still do a puppet yeah. show, God forbid. Um, so I think he <laughs> I think he I think he was really the game changer that happened for him. I think once that happened, that was when people started calling them and saying, you know, we would like to come on because they talked about how in those first seasons, um, you know, they really had to call in a lot of favors. And by the time you hit Nirv and yeah. then start moving forward. Um, I mean, every song's a hit. You just, you just, you just have this gigantic guest list. And even now, and we talked about this a little bit last time, and I know people didn't couldn't hear it, but um, even with the age difference that we have, you guys still kind of know everybody that's on the Muppet Show. Like most of those names are still iconic. Mm. I mean, have become even more iconic now. Um, so like every, almost every person you got on there, there, there's a few that you know. Even now, you're like, I don't. You know, back then, even we were like, I don't know who this is, but. Um, but and we won't talk about some of those but um but you know it's like even even 40 50 40 years on um there's so many iconic names that that went through that theater there it's really incredible it's nuts that bernadette peters could literally pop up on a some sort of muppet special right now and you'd be like yeah that makes sense yeah absolutely (laughs) she did it like you know 40 and she looks exactly the same as well (laughs) yeah but it's the same with like i guess that quite a lot of them have gone on to have like repeat cameos in Muppet movies or shows or like have maybe appeared on stage and specials with them and stuff I mean again like I I don't know like Steve Martin who we obviously recorded before still would feel like such a natural fit with the Muppets Mm -hmm. um I mean Elton John's carried on doing things with the Muppets like they can't get rid of Elton John (laughs) yeah it's 
I guess if you've got that similar sensibility, it's not really surprising, is it, that you'd want to keep working with them because it's mm. clearly so much fun. Yeah, it's <laughs> like a dream. Yeah, I, and you know, it was one of those shows that they, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if they, if, if they went along, they still did, but early on, and I think for quite a while, they, they paid scale. Um, to people to do that show it was you know i mean they mm. were because they, they were working on a on a on a budget so people mm. who were doing it especially in the first season were doing it for a favor and i'm pretty sure as it went on they just kept paying scale but like you were saying jade it was just so much fun and the big thing too is they took such good care of their guests they really mm. prided themselves on that david laser jim's producer um was just fa- fantastic about that jim had a great story he always told about when he had done i think a julie andrews special in london a couple years earlier and just got treated so lovely the whole time that he made sure that they did that for their guests every time so it was one of those things david laser really made sure they took great care of the guests so even if you're only getting paid scale um they took such great care of you they didn't wear you out um and you just and you had a lot of fun and you had input into the show now i don't know what elton's input was on his particular show but they but they did ask people you know what do you want to do and so you know you had nuriev saying you know i want to i want to dance with take my top off <laughs> yeah i, I want to do i want to do swine lake and you had you know somebody else saying i'm 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 an actor i want to dance so like they really let you give mm. that kind of input into it i'm sure it was really really fun to do um, just going back to you d- just mentioning the story about Jim Henson, obviously you wrote the very successful biography on Jim Henson. What what was it that made you sort of decide to sort of delve in to, to, to Jim and that be the sort of, what well, I basically to, to write the biography in the first place? Well, first of all, he hadn't been done before, which I thought was mm. staggering. Um, this was around 2000. Eight or ten, I think, that I'd finished my first book, which was a biography of Washington Irving, and I, you know, I was kind of looking for another subject, and it hadn't even occurred to me to do Jim. You know, it seemed like such low-hanging fruit that I was certain somebody had done it, and or was at least, I thought maybe there was a Robert Caro or somebody who'd been working on it for, you know, 40 years and hadn't come out yet. And I, I wish I had a great story on this, and I tell the story a lot, but I, I just remember I was on Muppet Wiki, no, not Muppet Wiki, his Wikipedia page. And I don't remember why I was even on his page. Um, I wish I could remember that part of it. But I, I, I was reading his Wikipedia page and read something when, oh, I wonder wonder what, what the source is for that. And I went down to the bottom and there was, and it was sourced. Muppet fans are great about sourcing stuff. That's the thing I was like, Muppet fans, you guys are awesome. Like everything is sourced. <laughs> um, but as I was looking down through the sources, there was no biography of him. It was all Jim Henson, the works and Jim Henson, you know, designs and doodles and things that were about the work uh, and rightly so, but there was no book about him. And so, you know, again, that was one where I thought, God, well, I would, I would love to do that project. I wonder if anyone's doing it. And I called my agent and he couldn't find anything. And so I went over to the University of Maryland. Um, at the time, I was living the next county over in Maryland from where Jim had grown up, which was very serendipitous and lucky. Um, and I, I, you know, I drove by his house out there first, but then I went over to the University of Maryland and I talked to the archivist for, there's an archives over at University of Maryland of a lot of his film work. Um, for a long time, they were the only place you could see the uncut original version of Emmett Otter, for example. Um, wow. But, um, and, but I, and I talked to him for quite a while, and I asked him, you know, why is there no biography of Jim? Thinking he was going to tell me that he'd been working on one for 20 years or something. And he said, I don't really, I don't know the answer to that, but, you know, let me give you somebody to talk to. And he gave me a, a contact inside the Henson organization. It was Arthur Novell, who was Jim's publicist. Um, who at that time was president of the Jim Henson Legacy. And that sort of organization, you know, mm. you see on Twitter, like they rotate the president. It's people like Craig Shemin is president for a while. And Karen Falk will be president for a while. Um, but it's a lot of people who are not necessarily performers, but like 
really were involved with Jim and his company and the art of puppetry. You know, they they you know they're the ones that work with the organizations that give out grants for puppeteers. So that it put me in contact with them, and that was you know then it took me another two and a half years. Um, before the Hensons would agree to allow me to have full access to their archives and to you know sit down and mm. be interviewed and so on. So as I found out later, um, a lot of people approached them. Uh, so I'm really flattered and honored that they agreed to let me do it. And I'm sure the first lines of my you know my obituary will be Jim Henson you know biographer Brian Jones, which is pretty awesome in my book. <laughs> but but I think part of it was like I had gone I, at one point when we were still kind of going back and forth. I said, I said, let me, let me just show you how I would do this. And I went down, and again, it was very lucky because of where I lived. I went to the Library of Congress right there, you know, where, you know, again, living in Montgomery County, like go into the district, you go to the Library of Congress. And I looked up everything I could about Jim Henson from the time when he was in high school because I wanted to write a little mm. like sample chapter on the early days of Jim performing there locally. I wanted to make it a local story and just pulled every small little story I could find on him from just these obscure newspapers in Northern Virginia and Maryland that don't even exist anymore. Um, and the Washington Post, and I got some great quotes from people, and I put together this chapter on sort of the history of TV and early children's television and Jim's place in that and getting that job at, you know, at CBS and then WRC, and um, I don't even think I got to Sam and Friends. I think I got a little bit to it, but but I had done a lot of research on how it got, how its timeline got bumped around all the time, um, and I sent that to them, and I, and I think that was the moment they went, oh, okay, we see this, like, you're going to, this is going to be deeply researched. Um, you know, and taken very seriously. And so I think that was kind of the moment that, that pushed the door open for me. And I, I do remember there was a great moment when I had given those chapters to Lisa Henson. I was meeting with her out in uh, Hollywood. And she loved the quote where there was somebody talking about Jim as a teenager saying he's an absolute genius. And I think that quote is in the Washington Post. It's not that hard to find. I mean, you have to be looking for it. But but they were just like they loved she she loved it. They had never seen that before, even though in my opinion, it was kind of hidden in plain sight in the post, mm. but, um, but they loved that. I think they'd never seen that before. And so I think that was one of the reasons that I was very lucky is because I was giving them some information kind of hidden in plain sight, but that nobody had gone in and dug for before. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like when you read about Mark Lewis and like everybody sort of knew when John Lennon met Paul McCartney, but he did the digging and found the exact date and the event that they were at. Like I was finding dates and events. And I think that they really thought right. that was cool. Speaking of the, the research, just before we uh, jump into the, the episode, being granted access to the sort of the Jim Henson archives is incredible and a very like, you know, an amazing kind of opportunity. Um, was there one particular thing that you found or saw in the archives that really just blew you away or you just couldn't believe that you were sort of like holding that bit of, you know, whatever from the from the archive? Yeah, no, that's a, that's an awesome question, Louis, because I'm a very tactile person in the sense that I, I love objects mm. and a lot of and a lot of research and archival research is paper and, and again I love holding paper like I love holding something that you know your subject touched mm. um, you know you see their signature on something you know that's actually their hand or you know like the, if you used to write back in the day to Jim and ask for an autograph photo they would send you this photo with his uh, like I had the original of that photo with his actual signature on it that, that they made all the copies of that's so cool <laughs> I think the one object that I just, I really loved is every week on the Muppet show, they would give everybody their scripts and you would walk around with their scripts. And Jim kept his in a leather binder with his name on it. Mm. And there was something about holding that binder that to me was more magical than anything else, just because it was something he had, he personally had carried with him 
you know, yeah. week in, week out, working on the biggest show in the world and all the experiences that must have happened to him. I almost get choked up talking about it. All the experiences that must have happened to him holding on to that and, and working with that and putting those scripts in there and writing on those scripts. There was, there was something about that particular object. And I don't even think I mentioned it in the book. Um, but there was just something about that particular object that was just so grounding and so inspiring and really, really magical in a weird way because it's not that you know, it's not like, well, this is the original animatronic Emmett Otter. You know, it wasn't anything like that. It was, it was just a, yeah. you know, it was just a leather binder. You know, kind of, I don't have one sitting here now. But the, 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 the kind you see that you put notepads in for his yeah. script. But it had his name on it. But just knowing that he, and I think he had written on it a little bit. But just knowing he had that every day, there's just something really, really cool about that. I mean, yeah, I think it's that thing, isn't it? Like, it's objects of use. Like, you know, there's something about holding, like, the pen that somebody had. Or, you know, you say the binder. There's something... Yeah, tangible and tactile. That it's just I'm, I'm just a fun perk for you, really, more than anything. Not necessarily for the book, just like a fun, fun bonus for Brian. <laughs> I think it's like when you visit someone's um house and you see like their study or something, you get to be in that space where they've had all those amazing ideas, and you just kind of think about like that length of time that they've obviously spent in that space working on whatever it is that you presumably love because you've taken time to go and visit their house and their study. So mm. yeah, I can totally get that with the binder. Robert Caro, the, you know, the awesome, amazing biographer of Lyndon Johnson and, you know, the power burger, he always talks about the importance of sense of place uh, more than anything else. And, and with mm. Jim, you know, I mean, I was just heartbroken because I didn't know until I started doing the research. I didn't know the, the Muppet Mansion, for example, doesn't exist anymore. But I still walked by the building so I could see it and like see, you know, the the etching on the floor and the stained glass. I wanted to see what it looked up from the outside. Is that still there? The building is still there. Um, but if you would go inside, I think it's gutted inside. And they sold yeah. it. I want to say they didn't sell it that long ago. Um, oh. But by the time even I was doing research in 2010, it was it was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, so I, I found as many photos as I could of the place so I could see what it looked like inside because I really liked that sense of place and knowing the experience, you know, I love the stories of that first, um, you know, sort of Muppet workshop they had where they had just that impossibly long flight of stairs um, next to it that, you know, Jim would wait for you at the very top of the stairs. So, I mean, so I, I, sense of place is really important to me. I was, I went to London just so I could see his house, even though like you couldn't get in, but I wanted to see his house and how long was the walk over to, over to Hampstead Heath over there. And, you know, mm. where was, where was Elstree Studios and how long would that take me to get there? And so, so I really wanted to have just a sense of place as well. And that's something that's, that's really important. I think in biography, sometimes it informs mm. the personality, the person you're, you're writing about. Sometimes it just informs like just that experience of mm. again, touching those objects and being around it and trying to figure out what was their schedule and how hard would it have been? What was traffic like at nine in the morning or eight thirty in the morning in London? So that, that kind of stuff not is good. really fun. <laughs> never, yeah, not good. I never, never good. It's like DC traffic. Yeah. I am. Um, I was actually on Downshire Hill uh, two weekends ago, and um, the first time I walked past, there was a door, a window open, um, but couldn't really see much of what was going on. And then I walked back in the evening. We'd been at a wedding, and there were lights on, and I really was like, there was that tug of like, I know there's people in there. Like, can I? <laughs> can I go? But it was so late. I was like, no, you have to keep walking. You have to keep walking. But I was like, there's people living in there. It's so crazy to me. And, and like, do they know? Oh. Yeah, well, there's a plaque up now, so I assume they yeah. know yeah. because you know, the plaque's like Jim, up. Like Jim's but... house in Maryland, where he grew up, still looks exactly the same. Um, and I've never done it, but I always wonder, I, I know, 
that there's a I think just a woman living by herself and I just wonder how often she gets you know knocks yeah. knocks on the doors from Muppet fans like can we come in and see the house but because um, uh, I mean if you happened. see that picture of Too Jim standing in front of the house and then you go by the house it looks exactly the same like it hasn't been renovated or anything. it's exactly the same over there. <sighs> Yeah. Well, speaking of a sense of place, uh, Jade, <laughs> we should probably jump into the the episode we're here to talk about. So why don't you kick us off uh, with some production information? I shall indeed. So this episode was originally broadcast on the 8th of January 1978. Happy New Year. No. And it was written by <laughs> Jerry Jewell, Joseph A. Bailey, Jim Henson and Don Hinckley and directed by Peter Harris. And Emma, I refuse to believe that anybody listening to this does not know who elton john is but do enlighten us further thanks jade so elton john was actually born reg dwight in 1947 um he's a singer pianist and composer and basically has a he's had a prolific career from the 60s onwards essentially and he's still touring now he's I still mean, doing his he's, farewell tour he's on his farewell tour his farewell tour is never going to yeah, end. Yeah. <laughs> gonna run out of yellow I mean, road. I think everyone knows who Elton John is, or at least has heard at least one Elton John song. Yeah. He, you know, he's won multiple awards, Grammys, Oscars, to Tony. name a few. Um, he has his um, Elton John AIDS Foundation as well. Um, he's done a lot of charity work. He's done a lot of film work, or you know, like The Lion King, obviously. He's done films, TV, concerts. Like we just said, he's touring now on his uh, Emma, are you farewell. selling tickets? Have you got some tickets you need to sell? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's over here at well, Madison yeah. Square Gardens again, so yeah. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. He was over here not that long ago, but... Trust me, he's not coming to Albuquerque. I can at least guarantee you that. <laughs> I was looking up about some of the songs just to get some more insight, which we can obviously go through as we go through the episode. It's a lot of But them. when I was looking it up, one of the things I came across is that he is actually the top solo artist in US chart history. He's also the top adult contemporary artist of all time in the United oh. States. And he's the first solo artist who has had a UK top 10 across six decades, wow. which... Is I just mind blowing. I, I actually, I'm, stun- I'm of... stunned to find out he's the solo artist over here. I would have thought Elvis would have done that, but um, that's incredible. I guess maybe it's just the the length of time that he's had <laughs> yeah, compared I guess so, to yeah. Elvis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, I mean, a, marath- it's a marathon, stuff. not a sprint, as they say, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for those kind of records, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of. I mean, I've never obviously. You can't help but know who Elton John is. Uh, and, it's, and I sort of just couldn't believe, having never actively gone to listen to any Elton John music, apart from maybe like a couple of songs, um, one of which was mainly because of Dua Lipa, um, I couldn't believe that I knew every one of these songs, like like to the point where I was like, I know the lyrics to these songs. And I was like, I've never, you know, put on an Elton John album, but it's just, you know, via osmosis, you just yeah. you just know them. It's kind of nuts. You probably aren't going to be able to read my writing on this, but as I was watching even the episode today, I wrote at the top, you probably can't read it, it says, every song a hit, my God. Um, <laughs> yes. It's one of those... Like, and they let him sing quite a few numbers. Yeah, it was crazy. And I was just, I was interested to see when the songs kind of were released because I was like, oh, are they fairly current? I did the same the thing. I had to look at it. And I was I like, Crocodile thing, Rock, yeah. 1972. Yeah. 
But that was his first US number one. So it makes sense that they opened the show with it, I think, because it was obviously like, you're all going to know this. Like, we're going to open with this this one that obviously like catapulted him. Yeah, I had to look up Don't Go Breaking My Heart because I thought that would have been fairly new, but it was actually over more than almost two years old, I think, at that time, which again, shocked me. I remember that. I thought that song was newer than that at that time. Mm. Yeah, so when I was looking up some of the other ones, for instance, Benny and the Jets, which was 1973, it was originally a B-side to Candle in the Wind, which is mental to me. Mm, Um, uh, But it was released as an A-side in the US in 1974, where it got to number one. But in 1976, it was finally released as an A-side in the UK. Like I just, some of his discography stuff is really, I, I guess it's that same thing now of when pop stars like realise like, oh, this is quite a popular song. Like we're just going to put that out, even though this album's already been out for two years or it's been a B-side or whatever. But they did that with Madonna. She released her first album and it kind of did fine. And then Like a Virgin as a single suddenly did amazingly. And because the, the Like a Virgin album wasn't ready, they just re-released the first album yeah. again be like yeah. hey you know that girl you like she's already got an album I'm like buy this one or they yeah. find out like djs were this shows you how old i am but they, they, some there sometimes they would find out djs were like flipping songs over in the clubs and playing the b-side and that was when everyone mm. was like, so, and then they released the b-side as an a-side someplace else yeah. it's just bizarre to me that benny and the jets was the b-side to candle in the wind like yeah. they you couldn't get two more that's a real whiplash of it that's what they call the double a-side like hey jude and revolution you know yeah yeah well, let's um, let's let's jump into the the episode. God bless Elton. He's an incredibly talented songwriter. He's an incredibly talented musician, but I don't think he's an actor. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every every moment they try and give him some dialogue, it all just feels a little bit kind of <laughs> I don't know, not not the best. So I'm sort of not surprised they give him just four. They're like just do four numbers over the course <laughs> of 25 minutes. So that's fine. But even this like first little moment where we land on this upsetting Muppet food is it's, it's a little bit of an odd one. I really liked seeing all the Muppet sentient food because we haven't had that many different types of food yet. Like it was quite fun to see that they've got grapes and burgers and lemons and God knows yeah, we what had, like, else. A whole Happy Meal. Yeah, it was like a Happy Meal. <laughs> And that milkshake was like going nuts. Or I don't know that what that milkshake purple, was doing. Purple liquid was just like. <laughs> it was like somebody combusting. had dropped a Mentos in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's clearly not that comfortable having been given lines. I felt like he did get slightly more comfortable as it got later in the episode, but definitely to start well, with. Not lines of dialogue. But I can't anyway. understand why. Yeah. I mean, this is like the ultimate Elton John. I mean, like 76, like, you know, 70 mm. or whatever year this is, 78. I mean, this is Elton kind of still at the height of his powers. Yeah. And he, mm. yeah. he looks great. I mean, he's, you know, 50 years younger, but I mean, he looks great in it. And this is him at like the most flamboyant. I don't know why he's just not rolling with it and just having a great time. He, yeah. he seems very, and especially, you know, you get to the very end, which we'll talk about later too, but he's, he's very, he's very stilted. You're, you're right. It's like, he clearly does not want to deliver that dialogue. No, really, and it's everyone is delivered like dead on arrival. Terrifying. It's like, <laughs> the energy of the scene comes screeching to a halt every time. And then he starts singing and you're like, Yay! Like, something's <laughs> happening! But, yeah, every, every awkward pause or just, like, I don't know, even, like, some of the looks to camera, he's, like, it's some, it's not even, it's more like a grimace, and you're just like, oh, God. Well, there's the bit with Kermit, which we'll obviously get to, but Kermit's like, oh, isn't that interesting about gopher being an old theatrical term? And Alton's literally just like, no. 
<laughs> like, why is this in? Like, who decided this was a good thing to put in? Like, you literally just want to be like, and that's curtains, and let's just go back to the song now. Okay, bye, everyone. Like, yeah. bizarre choices with some of them, knowing that he's this uncomfortable. Well, and you know, and I think that may have informed this, because the first note I wrote on this one was, wow, we got right into this. Um, yeah. There, there's yeah. no, there's no really like setup framing narrative. There's no real no. A or B plot. I mean, you've kind of got the chef and the no. chicken kind of, kind of as your through line, but it's just number, number, gag, number, yeah. number, 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 you know, and even yeah. at one point you get just an all Muppets number, but it's just, it's just songs constantly. And I think maybe that is because they were like, Elton, we can't put him in sketches. He's just not going <laughs> to be Christopher Reeve having just a great time chewing the scenery. So, But it's even weird to me that like the Sam the Eagle bit could be seen as a sort of half of a plot. But even that's just at the back end of the episode. Like, I feel like in a normal episode, that would have maybe been the proper a plot that would have run yeah. through the whole thing yeah, yeah. I, I wonder if they did they wanted to go for that and then they kind of started seeing the like rushes of what he was doing when he was just kind of trying to deliver dialogue and they were like let's cut it let's cut it and just... <laughs> do you know what? just do another just do benny and the jets just, just, <laughs> so but i had a whole scene like just just sing benny and the jets yeah no you're and right that would have been that would have been a funny sort of like through line is having sam just being appalled at the weirdos yeah yeah and instead, they were just like, okay, we'll just have Swedish chef and a chicken running yeah. through <laughs> with increasing intensity. And even then, the sa- that Sam plot, if you want to call that, is, is like dropped in, like almost like shoehorned in at, at the end mm. of the second act on that. Yeah. It's just really, it yeah. comes kind of out of nowhere. Like Sam didn't know Elton had been there for the first 20 minutes of the show or something. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He kind thought of all strange. those like feathers that were lying around were his own. He yeah. thought he was just <laughs> He thought his plumage had gone a different colour in the sun or something. Yeah. But yeah, Brian, you're right. We we go literally straight from the opening titles. We get a brief intro by Kermit and then we're straight into the first of four of Elton's numbers. And this is cro- Crocodile Ronk? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Crocodile Ronk. I can remember what it was now. I was like, I know there's crocodiles. But I, was like, <laughs> I love the theming of this. I think the thing that I really loved the most was actually, I feel like it's the first time we've seen Electric Mayhem dressed in anything other than their usual like glam rock attire like seeing him in the explorers outfit it was like oh we're actually gonna we're really playing around here the note i wrote on this was great dr teeth not a great janice um Mm. you know the the dr teeth is you know the the performance on that is great The, the keyboard is always i don't know how they ever did it it was always the keyboard playing is always so convincing for that but janice i wrote down look at three minutes and 37 seconds her guitar has fallen sideways (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I noticed that as well. Did you notice that? I don't know why they didn't like did. stop and go back and fix that and start <sighs> again. But like Janet's playing is is shockingly unconvincing because that never happened. Uh, and part of it's mm. just because like that guitar she sent and it's like falling over sideways and it's just you know I think they maybe they just ran out of time. Maybe they hoped the foliage would just obscure it. They yeah. were like, <laughs> it could well be. They won't be able to see that past the leaves. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, it was such a fun way to start the episode. The fact that he was covered in all of those feathers and then threw them back to do the big reveal. And I also loved, before we get too far into it, that over the opening titles and then again when Kermit introduced Elton John, you had extra female screaming this week. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the joy of watching them all week after week, Brian. You're like, that yeah. sounds different. Yeah, no, yeah. I picked that up as well. I was like, yeah. well, it's like Beatles screaming. It was, it was like Beatles screaming. I was like, oh my God, like, you can tell Elton is clearly, as you said, at the height of his powers that they're like, no, he would have screaming hordes of women 
because I guess he wasn't out yet at this time. I was going to say, uh, they're, they're chasing, they are chasing, a, they're going to be running along that yellow brick road for a long time. And it was interesting because Crocodile Rock is the, the beat, it's just a slightly slower version of it. You can actually understand the words a little bit more than mm-hmm. you can on the release on it. And, and I'm with you. I mean, just like it's a perfect setting and then bringing the crocodiles into it to sing on the chorus. It's 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 a perfect storm of a Muppet it's song. It's so cute. It's yeah. so cute when he's conducting them and they're just like the way that they staged it as well almost feels like they're in the crowd at a concert and are just sort of joining in with it. Like it's really it's been really, really well thought through other than Janice. I don't know what Janice is doing on that rock, but the rest yeah. of it's really lovely. Um, when I was doing some research as well, I uh, discovered that Dr. Teeth was actually based on Alton John. So when Michael Frith designed Dr. Teeth, the character was originally going to be called Leon Dr. Alton John Don't Shoot the Piano Player. <laughs> um, so obviously that got tidied up, which makes a lot of sense. But like, I thought it's like perfect that Electric Mayhem get to have so much fun with Alton John in this episode when Dr. Teeth's whole vibe is based on that kind of glam rock look. Um, and the other thing I saw, which was really cute and funny, is um, Kermit's Life Lessons book, which is called Before You Leap. Um, in that, uh, Kermit apparently says that his mother booked Alton John in a local theatre called the Bayou Bijou, and it was there that Alton John was introduced to the crocodile who Crocodile Rock is about. So, like, oh. such a nice little bit of synergy that <laughs> we've got the little croc singing along, and yeah, apparently that was all down to Kermit's mum that this song even came about, which I thought was really lovely. <laughs> Although then, I mean, I did think it was pretty bold when uh, Elton falls into the water. And I did genuinely think <laughs> yeah. we were then going to have a shot of like Elton being like maimed by these like crocodiles. I like, was kind of going like, the same way. I was waiting to see if he was going to come up dan- or if the crocodiles would turn and like his feathers would be in their mouths or something. Like I, yeah. I wasn't sure how they were going to resolve hoped, yeah, when Yeah, when they came through backstage, it would have been nice of them to just like have a pair of his glasses or like a little head (laughs) thing just like in their teeth. I have a feeling they were probably like, we need to show that he's okay. Like they actually had to have the shot of him looking very very put out by being in the water. Yeah. I was like, wow, bold. We're just going to kill Elton John. Well, especially because it's just because the first joke when they go backstage is Kermit says something about like, don't eat the gas. You know, it's almost like I think they were like, we probably need to go back and fix that and show Elton like is actually in the water and fine. Yeah. That joke, though, was don't eat the guest at the beginning of the show. At the beginning so of the, the show. implication was like, it's fine if you want to have Elton for dinner later. Just <laughs> wait. We need to just that's what get... Should, yeah, the, that's what... The crocodile should have come back at the credits to finish the yeah, job. Like, he should have just been, been so waving good. it and the crocodile just leaps in. <laughs> it's just left a cliffhanger of whether Elton John lived. <laughs> or instead of seeing Statler and Waldorf again in the credits, that could have been the little button on the end of the episode. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Statler and Waldorf are surprisingly gone. engaged in like a positive way in this one. They're not, loving there's it. not a lot of cat calling. <laughs> They're kind of into it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Maybe they see a kindred spirit in Alton. <laughs> well, we have canonically decided that Statler and Waldorf are a, a, a gay couple now. So oh, that's maybe, true. Yeah, so they're, uh, you know, <laughs> they see kin- yeah, kinship. <laughs> we go backstage obviously after the first number um scooter continues to be absolutely awful <laughs> I, I loathe scooter so much so i i'm with you lewis at this again as i was writing those sentences i wrote well scooter is still in the my uncle who owns this theater mode oh it's yeah. so annoying so annoying <laughs> nepo baby the other thing i really that i know soon enough that i wrote the timestamp on it is at 518 watch jim pull off an absolutely killer shrug from kermit as he's talking with the chef 
There's a moment where, like, you would swear Kermit has, like, shoulders. There's something about, I don't know if he pulled the head down, but there's a fantastic mm. shrug from Kermit. I think I clocked that. It was really cool. It was really good. I thought Kermit and Jim's movement throughout this whole backstage bit was really lovely because we obviously started right by the wing and Kermit's desk, and then we panned across and Kermit moved across, and it all felt really, really natural. And he also was in a genius move Kermit was looking back to the stage which was why he bumped into the piano so it actually like you bought the fact that Kermit I mean I don't know whether you buy completely that Kermit hasn't seen that that piano sat there but in that exact moment you you buy that he's bumped into it and it's like what the hell's that I wasn't expecting that there yeah so there was a really really lovely bit and remember this these are two Jim characters interacting with yeah which doesn't happen a lot Scooter's Richard oh, I'm, no I'm, I'm sorry I'm talking about I'm talking about Kermit in the chef oh the chef yes yeah so true. a sorry. lot of times what they ended up having to do was they would record Jim's voice and have somebody else just perform to it uh I don't know exactly yeah. what they did here but that was sort of the norm with that that's what you do, you don't get two Jim characters a lot which is why Ralph gets sort of you know backstaged a lot as well a disappointing lack of Rolf in this episode, actually. Yeah. Considering we've got a piano player. I think Lewis would have rather had Rolf than Scooter in this one. <laughs> oh, def- yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a shit. Like, because obviously there's so much fun stuff in this episode, but I do think after the last few weeks and few episodes we've had, it does really feel like we're we're lacking a solid A and B plot in this episode. It things just sort of get picked up for a little bit and then dropped and then picked up and dropped again. It it doesn't have too much drive going through it beyond literally Swedish chef chasing a chicken with a cleaver, mm-hmm. like, throughout. And it's kind of a shame because it feels like the last few episodes, you know, the Rudolf Nureyev episode in particular just felt so kind of, like, solid and bedded in. And this just feels a bit more, I don't know, disjointed. I was thinking about it um, on my second viewing and... The scooter bit obviously runs into Benny and the Jets and then the Sam the Eagle bit runs into Don't Go Breaking My Heart. But there isn't anything that ties the whole thing together. Mm. I I don't know why they decided that that was the way they wanted to do it. But I think the problem with it is that you don't get that real sort of sense of momentum or forward flow. It's like, oh, we resolve Scooter's bit because we, you know, he gets to sing Benny and the Jets with Elton and is having a great mm. time. And then we resolve Sam the Eagle's bit because he gets his comeuppance and has to eat his hat. Um, but that's it. You know, like there's no, yeah. there's nothing a little bit bigger or a bit more meaty to get into. Mm. I wonder if it's just because they wanted to fit as yeah, many as musical many numbers as possible. So there yeah. just isn't enough, you know, because we barely even hit backstage as much as we usually do in an episode. Yeah. So maybe they just, they just figured we don't have enough space to do a full kind of plot so we'll just do a little bit over here and a little bit over here well it could be because i mean like you were saying I mean, as we were t- discussing every every song in here is a hit and i mean and this mm-hmm. isn't just like the back part of his catalog these are all huge hits yeah big, and big, i even noticed songs. that in when they were doing goodbye yellow brick road they they cut a verse because i think it was just like they were just trying to get as much as they could into this episode so mm-hmm. that could well be they were like you know what everyone's just performing and and we'll forget the we'll forget the backstage plots um, but I yeah. think you're right. It does make it feel a little less coherent. It's more like, mm. you know, here, here's a song and here's another song. It's, it's, there's not enough. I'm going to say there's not enough to keep you interested because you're always interested. But there's 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 not quite enough going on to make it feel like an episode. Mm. Although if that had meant we'd had to have had more Elton John dialogue scenes, then maybe we should count our blessings. <laughs> well, but, you know, but as we were saying earlier, it, it could well be like it could be that that Sam the Eagle was the A plot. And yeah. and yeah. that they were just like, and it, it could be even what they're making. Elton's like, you know what? I would really rather not. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it feels like they, you know, like that one was something they might have 
been trying to do something with and it just wasn't mm. working. Mm. Mm. Which is such a shame because the idea of Sam actually interacting with Elton in a in a world where Elton can deliver lines is is a really And because really... he looks like a weirdo. I mean that is like so yeah. in Sam's mm. wheelhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Although maybe it would have been too close to the Rudolf Nureyev plot that we just had the week before. Maybe mm. maybe they were sort of like, oh god, we can't have him being um you know, disgruntled at the guest again. The purveyor you know, of taste again. So yeah. soon. That's true. Yeah. Speaking of taste, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to the Swedish uh, Swedish chef sketch. Emma, do you want to try and explain what the hell this is? <laughs> and also, before you start, Emma, the note I wrote on this one is, wow, did they take their time? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness, so much. Like, when I started watching this, I was like, okay, what's happening? And we see Swedish chef with that chicken and he's kind of looking at the chicken. I'm like, what? what's happening? What's going on? And then the whole thing with the, like, when he started to shuffle the chicken around and try and grab the eggs. And then you had one ping pong ball. He kind of bounced it off. And you were like, okay. And then you waited for a little bit longer. And then it happened again and two. And then you're like, okay. And then you're sitting there waiting to see what's going to happen next. And then he just goes crazy and starts chasing him around with a pan. And then the meat cleaver. And you're just like... What's happening? <laughs> it's you're you're right, Brian. It's so long, and you feel yeah. every moment of it. <laughs> like you said, Emma, it's like once is funny, twice is a spanking. Like we 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 get it with the bouncing eggs, we got it, and then the chase. Mm. It's like we start with the frying pan, and then we go to the cleaver. It's like it's like every joke is extended to the mm. to mm. the to the point of exhaustion on it. It just it just I was just like how you know they. Again, I don't know if they were filling time or not. It seemed like it went on much longer than they would normally have done it. And and Jerry Joel, I mean, he's got a good sense of pacing, which just made me wonder what they were up to with this one. The pacing was really, really strange. The one thing I did appreciate with it was I'm pretty sure this is the first time we've seen Swedish Chef in the kitchen come out from behind the island. Mm. He's always been behind the island before. And the fact that they were doing laps. I mean, I didn't need to see them do that many laps yeah. around yeah. the island. Again, that was extended to an extent that did not need to be extended, especially given that they were then going to run through almost every other sketch or situation in the rest of the show as well. But I was like, I was like, oh, okay, that's quite exciting that they've decided that Swedish Chef can come out from behind the counter. But yeah, it's, I don't know, it felt very, very underwritten. Just not hitting those usual beats with Swedish Chef where it's it's usually pretty sharp and you, you get know, to the laughs something and you get goes, to the punchline. Something's line. not happening. He pulls out a gun, he shoots something, and then yep. the sketch is over. Like <laughs> We don't have to then watch him reload the shotgun and then aim again and then shoot somewhere else. And then for some reason, the I, could, I couldn't stop watching the chef's hands on this one for some reason. I don't know why. I was fascinated by it. I think maybe it's with being in the more high-def screens now these days, I could mm. not stop watching the hands. I was watching the hands too because I was trying to... Cause were they done by the same person or were they done with two people doing the hands? Do you know, Brian? It's usually one person doing both hands and then one person yeah, doing okay, the head. So it is and, but I don't know who would have been performing at this time. It was gen- generally Jim and Frank uh, together yeah. doing that. So, Yeah, I was really watching the hands this week too. I think maybe that's just testament to the sketch being rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> I can stop, stop looking at the chicken. The chicken's eyes looked particularly oh. like 
off somehow. They They're were too like that. Wide. That chicken has been dosed up, or like, <laughs> or it's very aware it has ping pong balls up its butt. Like, it gets to our larger <laughs> question about like, were they pressed for time or something? Because you know, we have Janice's guitar falling sideways. We have the mm. chicken looking weird. And then I put a note down in one of the songs in that any old iron. One of the whatnot, his pupil fell out of his eye. Yeah, Did yeah, really. Yeah, it's just like yeah, it was, I know. It was almost fact. like it was like it was not time. They're like, well, we'll get it later. We'll get it later. And then they didn't have time to go back and redo it. So I actually read a story about that that Louise Gold has said. Uh, thank you, Muppet Wiki. That apparently it was literally the last thing they filmed. Which one? Which the, I honestly, the pupil. Um, any any old iron. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, any old iron for the pupil. And they did it in one take. Ah, okay. And basically, that was it. And I guess they just didn't have time. Gotcha. To, well, that would make to, sense. To go back and fix it. It was probably that British Union breathing down their necks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, back when we still had a good, powerful union. <laughs> I mean, literally, the only one that has any sway now is literally the the train and transport people. And you know what? They always get what they want. Well, I love like, to hear stories like, about them like pressing the Muppet Show, and then you hear the stories about how much they were pressing George Lucas on Star Wars. You know, it's like they, they actually helped make a whole bunch of great projects by like standing there watching their watches all the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazed that there's not more UK spots that have that level of uh, problems with them, to be perfectly honest with you, because they always all feel like they've been done in one take on like a Friday evening when most people have gone home. Like, I'm kind of amazed this is the first one we've really noticed where we're like, you've actually missed an eye on this Muppet. <laughs> like, this Muppet yeah. is missing a pupil that's clearly not intentional. <laughs> I-, I feel vindicated that, like, our. Uh, hatred for a lot of the uk spots not all of them some of them are great but for a lot of them is totally justified like they gave them no attention whatsoever yeah. <laughs> they just did not care see i i can't get enough of the uk spots because we didn't get them here so i'm always yeah. i yeah. love i love seeing them um you know i like i love the you know like you guys were so lucky you got tit willow like we didn't get tit willow which yeah. is like one of the greatest sketches of all time that, that is, is not one I one. hate. That is one I love. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. I, so I love I love seeing the UK stuff. I'm fascinated by it when we when we get to see. See, those. by contrast, we've sometimes spent episodes here saying that we would actually prefer if Disney Plus gave us an option to instead of watching the UK spot, just be fed some like 1978 American adverts. Like, just, <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I prefer. <laughs> we prefer just to see that. <laughs> That's usually Jim digging deep into like, you know, those songbooks that he loved as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I did also enjoy the Statler and Waldorf button on the end of this of that they were going to sneak out for pizza. Sneak out. (laughs) I thought that was very funny at the end of Swedish Chef. But then we move backstage into Alton John's dressing room where the piano has miraculously appeared. Yeah, was, was there anybody thinking know, how in the hell is Kermit going to push that thing up the stairs? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what Muppets took that upstairs? I was like, there's got to be a freight <laughs> elevator in the building we haven't ever seen. <laughs> yeah. And like, no offense to Kermit, but Kermit's little lanky arms could not have pushed that <laughs> piano up the stairs. It's not happening. <laughs> And it's still Scooter yeah. in full-on annoying mode, isn't it, Lewis? It's just, I hate him so much. <laughs> <laughs> I had been softening on him a little bit in this season, and then just the moment he said, my uncle owns the face, I was like, I, know, I knew there was a reason I hated you so much. <laughs> yeah, I like it when we sort of uh, put that behind us. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, when he just becomes, I don't know, a, a, an assistant. It's over-eager. Fine, but, yeah, um, he's better when he's just over-eager. Yeah. Yeah, but, um, yeah I mean, again, the first note I have in mine is, Elton's not a natural scene partner. It's just, he's really just dragging it down, which is a shame. But uh, yeah, 
and poor yeah, but poor Kermit stuck between <laughs> a sort of flat Elton John and then Scooter forcing him to you know perform a number and then Kermit insults it and then it turns out it's an Elton John number. Just it's a tough it's a tough a few minutes for uh, for Kermit. <laughs> Brian, like, this might be me reading way too much into this, but Scooter was so genuinely jazzed and was hooting and hollering the whole time when he was, like, sharing a stage with him. Like, mm-hmm. do you think that was Richard Hunt maybe coming through Scooter there? Because it seems really out of character that Scooter... Not that, like, I'm not saying he wouldn't be a fan of Out and John, but, like, the extent to which they sort of pushed it and also that they set this whole thing up so that it was Scooter leading into want to sing Benny and the Jets with Alton, which does feel slightly out of character because he is very much a backstage Muppet. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I wondered if maybe it was a Richard Hunt thing that he was pushing for. Yeah, it. well, and, and again, the, like, the more we've discussed this episode, the more it often seems like there's stuff where they... You know, abandoned plot lines, or you know, we're ad libbing, and who knows if maybe you know you're seeing Richard's enthusiasm come through. Um, and I can only speculate here. I mean, we've got two performers who are gay, only one of which is out. I mean, Richard's out, yeah. and Elton's not. Mm. Um, but perhaps Richard knows this about Elton as well. I mean, uh, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, there, and it could be that you know, he and Elton had similar you know acquaintances or so. I don't know. They, there might have been a relationship there. <laughs> Uh, not romantic, yeah. but just like a, there, there may have been some relationship between Richard and Elton that we're just not aware of. Um, yeah, that's very true. That might actually. be a question for it's... Max Stein to answer at some point in the future. I don't know. <laughs> if they were frequenting the same like gay bars in London and things, that they might have, uh, they might have known each other. Hard to tell. I mean, and and it wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember enough about the law. I'm not sure it was entirely legal there yet. Um, uh, by the seventies, it was. By yeah. the seventies, it was. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so I mean, still, people weren't people weren't jazzed about it, but like they were, like you know. <laughs> and I don't know that Elton would have been at gay bars at that time. I think Elton was still was not yet out. No, it was all. I mean, I'm basing this entirely on Rocket Man, but I think he was. It was. I mean, <laughs> that's my, as we all my, should. My like, I mean, he seems to be. He was having a fun time banging Richard Madden or yeah. whoever that was meant to be. Like you know, I didn't pay that much attention. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I guess yeah. it's whether he was even before he was out, whether he was yeah doing yeah. things but, but the other, the other thing quiet. the other thing too remember is richard's the youngest of the performers um mm. well, i mean steve is too but like of the main performers richard's is, is the youngest i mean i think like he's genuinely excited you've got one of at, at this time remember like this is one of the biggest rock stars in the yeah. world um yeah. so you may have just seen even though he can't act you may have seen you know richard's genuine enthusiasm coming through and being like can i be the one who introduces elton please yeah. you know, so um, so we may be seeing some of that. I'm sure, you know, had they brought in, you know, Paul McCartney, they, you know, Jerry would have been knocking people over to get to be the one that had Floyd introduce Paul McCartney. So, <laughs> um, so, we, so we may be seeing some genuine enthusiasm there from Richard. I don't know. I like, I think so. And I mean, like, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but he just, Scooter just seemed like buzzing in a way that I like, he's enthusiastic, but he's not like, he doesn't usually kind of fawn in that same way, you know. He yeah. seemed so happy. I was like, mm. I think this is Richard being yeah. so happy that Elton's here. And, and yeah, I mean, we, and we also, also get... we have a complete lack of Fozzie in this episode. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I was trying to think, like, could Fozzie have played that part of being the one? In, but I, but I don't know, you know, because Fozzie would have thought he was a comedian because he was so wacky and dressed so weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. Could have maybe done something there. I don't know. And had Fozzie do it instead of Scooter. But you, you may have genuine Richard Hunt enthusiasm bubbling through here. Mm. 
Also, with that could have been a really funny runner with Fozzie thinking that he's got like the best comedian, like a real <laughs> clown. But Alton just wouldn't have been able to play it, and that's such a shame because that yeah. could have been really funny. Now, the other thing I thought was really interesting. So, did you notice? So, we had Kermit setting this whole thing up by talking about how this was the worst song you'd ever heard. When they finally start playing Benny and the Jets and everyone sings the chorus, did you notice Kermit never sings? <gasps> Does he not? No, he never opens his mouth that. to sing. I think. I think. I mean, I think it was a choice. I really think it was a choice that they were yeah. like, "This is going to be Kermit who like doesn't get this." Like he was talking about how this is the worst song he's ever heard. Why would he know the song? <laughs> That's yeah. so funny. I love that Kermit's like, "No, I just think this is terrible." Because I kept, I kept watching him to see if like, is he going to sing on the last time they do it? Or he never opens yeah. his mouth. Wow, good spot. Yeah. Meanwhile, that pig in the pink afro is living their life. They, they were going like wild by that piano. So that's Annie Sue, and this is her big debut. <laughs> that's I beg Louise. your pardon. <laughs> so we were actually, <laughs> it's determined that's Annie Sue in a pink wig then. Yeah, it is Annie Sue. So I almost wrote wig. that down, so, but I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be Annie Sue or not. If they yeah. were just like, just so put a pink wig the... on that one and we'll just make it a random pig. <laughs> yeah, so this is her debut. I don't know whether she was puppeteered by Louise Gold in this episode or not, but she will become... A Louise Gold character, and we will see her a lot in the coming seasons. How exciting! Yeah. What a weird way to be like a brother. Yeah. Love Louise. Yeah, li- Love Louise. A little surreptitious uh, debut for a Muppet there. Yeah, I was yeah. very excited when she appeared. They looked so good, all of them, in their like glam rock outfits. I loved that dog in the back with like the fluffy kind yeah. of ears, and like they. Oh, that was great. Jade, I, I thought I wrote down, they looked like the, you know, the middle-aged crowd that went to Abba Voyage. Abba. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. That, was, that was like how they were all dressed yeah. at like, Abba Voyage. <laughs> like, everybody in their like, late 40s, early 50s, just like bopping around in these like faux 70s outfits. Although, as we know from the instructions on the website, they are just expressing no afros. Wear afros. No afros, which, <laughs> thank God. But, um... Yeah, that's all I could think. It was just like this is this, this is the crowd to Abba Voyage. Like, they did. They they very much would fit in if they popped down to Abba Voyage this evening. They they yeah, fit they right in with the crowd. Yeah, I generally thought this was quite a sweet little setup for Benny and the Jets. They'd obviously thought about moving it to a different setting, so they weren't all just on the stage or with the electric mm. mayhem. I do find this song quite aggravating, though. <laughs> And like just, just the daddy. I don't know. Like the other ones are fine, but this one I actually find kind of annoying. <laughs> See, I find "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road" a little bit grating, <laughs> but I don't mind this one <laughs> as much. Emma, which Elton song, John song do you hate? Benny <laughs> <laughs> was one of the songs where, as a as a kid at that time, like I didn't understand the words, and even when I knew what the words were, I'm like, I don't. I don't... I don't know what any of this means. Like it was <laughs> like I would I would sing it and just kind of make up words that kind of sounded right. So yeah. Well, to be fair, if uh, if that video during COVID is anything to go by, Elton John's just making up that I'm Dill yeah. Dandin is just. <laughs> the, the... He's turned into a full-on pop singer in his later age. Bless him. Yeah. Uh, well, good. the world's richest pop singer. It's like the line and the way he like uh, the way he enunciates him. Like you know, all too weird and one for oh man, it's a really cane. Like I, <laughs> I had no idea what any of that. I didn't know he was saying man. She's really it's really keen. I still didn't even know what keen <laughs> meant at that time. But no. uh, anyway, you don't stand a chance. <laughs> Emma, what did you think of the song? Yeah, no, I thought it was really good. I loved all the kind of background Muppets who were like living their best lives. <laughs> and um, I did clock that Kermit wasn't singing along as well. I thought that was quite interesting to see. He was kind of bopping, but he wasn't really getting involved. But no, I thought it was he pretty good. He still hates good. the song, I mean... just like me. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I didn't know if I was supposed well, to say, like, Kermit didn't know the words because, like, he didn't know the song. Yeah, they, so, yeah. like, did they make the choice? Or, like, Kermit doesn't know the words, he's not going to sing. No. Because, you know, Jim knew the I words. I think they did. I think they did. And, like, I really love that this season, like, they, they're sticking with those kind of things when they do them. Because, like, in season one, I don't know, it would be that, like, Kermit and Piggy were in a fight, but then the next song they'd be singing together again or something. And you're just like, well, okay, like, there's no, there's no cohesion here. Like, whereas, mm. even though we're saying this episode feels like it could be is lacking a bit of a through line like actually even in that moment it's like kermit said he doesn't know the song he doesn't like the song he's not gonna sing i like that like that's really i don't care if you are elton john (laughs) (laughs) good for kermit having principles lewis yeah i agree (laughs) like stupid scooter (laughs) anyway before we get back onto that we then slide our way over to veterinarian's hospital where piggy is once again getting her free gas and air before starting her um Starting the sketch again. But she's doing too much and she's getting hiccups, which I burst <laughs> yeah. out Look, laughing we've all, at the We've hiccups. all been there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, how did this rank for you in terms of uh, a veterinarian's hospital sketch? Did you like this one? Is this better than what we've had before? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously last week we had all the Shakespeare puns. Um, yes. And then we had the shoe puns, which were what? really bad. I didn't think these that were too bad. Like, you obviously had a lot of dog puns. So you had, like, Lost and Hound and Grab the Bulldog by the Horns and, like, Watchdog. And, and also you saw Baskerville the Hound again, um, yeah. which was quite nice to see him back. So, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed this one this week. This was the first time, I swear, that, and Jade, I might be wrong. We actually get the crowd booing one yeah, of the... Yeah, yeah. Like, for the first time. And I was like, that's amazing that you wait until now to boo a pun in veterinarian's <laughs> hospital. And that's like... And Rolf looks genuinely concerned. He's like, oh, God, like, they're going to turn. The booing actually shocked me. I was like, is it booing or is it is it something that they're joining in with that I'm not getting? And then I was like, no, they are booing. They they yeah. are not enjoying this. Well, and the and, and the note I have on this is it's I'm I'm with you, Emma. It's lovely to see Baskerville. And more than that, it's lovely to see Baskerville and Rolf together, which we haven't seen yes. since yes. like the dog food commercials in the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked when um Jerry Nelson's the announcer was saying uh about the grabbing the um him by the what oh, sorry Emma, what was it? The dog uh the bulldog, the bulldog by, by the horns. Bulldog by the horns. Rolf was looking through Baskerville's fur trying to find yeah, his horns. I love that. That was great. <laughs> it was like such a cute little touch. I really thought it was really, really sweet. I mean, they are kind of groaners, aren't they, the puns? Yeah, but it's now, now the audience are te- like yeah. <laughs> I just kept finding like, oh god. I don't know how much I don't know how much longer we've got veterinarians hospital for i mean if the if the crowd continues to you know <laughs> turn against it they might have to cut it from the from the lineup but i mean fortunately, fortunately part of what makes it work is they're in on the joke they know how bad it yeah. is because because yeah, yeah. that's you know i mean that was a jerry joel thing that's the reason like at the dance is gone the minute jerry comes Thank in God. because he doesn't want he doesn't want the laugh in like door joke joke wall yeah. um and so something like this is i think enough character driven that you've got rolf in on it he knows the jokes are bad they're interacting with the the announcer you know piggy's fun so i so i think i think that's one of the reasons they leave veterinarians hospital i mean in the in the first season it's like it's a spoof of the soap operas i think by this season they're like forget that yeah it's a spoof of the soap opera it's the opportunity to have really bad jokes that they all know are really bad jokes and that's what makes it funny um because yeah. i have because i have a feeling that joel coming in in season two like that would have would have knocked that right out again the same way we saw 
the talking houses go and at the dance go and you know a number of things that they were just like that's that's not character driven get it out yeah just mm. done i thought it was quite interesting that we got veterinarians hospital and pigs in space this week though i don't think we've had many episodes with both of them no i don't think we have it's felt kind of like one or the other for most of season two yeah, that's a great point um so it's it's yeah just sort of interesting that they decided to go with both of them but maybe that was like a time thing with how long they had left after they had to fill there was an Elton John sketch they knocked out (laughs) (laughs) they were sort of sitting there in rehearsal going oh god (laughs) they were like get 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 the pigs (laughs) pigs." (laughs) yeah possibly oh my god so we've already talked a little bit about the UK spot but just to touch on it again very quickly it's any old iron which is a traditional musical song um One of the credited writers of it is E.H. Shepherd, and I'm wondering if that's the Winnie the Pooh illustrator or if it's someone else. The The times oh. do align because um, it's from 1911, but he's an illustrator, so I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. He could be a multi-hyphenate jade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there was nothing on his Wikipedia page about it, so I'm like, is it just a coincidence of initials or what but yeah well, it was like, a lot harder to update your wikipedia in the early you know, <laughs> 1911. 1911 version of wikipedia yeah it's yeah. it funny i i knew only parts of the song i still don't know and the words go by really fast i can't understand oh, a lot so of it. quick but um yeah. but the first place i ever heard this is in the movie chaplin the one with robert downey jr he and his brother sing it yeah. to each other that's the only time i've only other time i've ever heard this song i don't think it's one of the like musical ones that gets wheeled out that much these days i don't know what you think lewis Jade, when do any of these songs get wheeled oh, out anymore? Like, <laughs> like, where are you going? Like, no, 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 not like, not in no. a live, pers- but I mean, like, when you see something that's set in a period time and they might, they just want to evoke it. And there's like, there's some musical songs that get used more than others. Yeah. And I just no, don't think right, yeah. this is like one of those ones that's like. Yeah, it's very much the B side. Like, yeah. yeah it's, uh... <laughs> I can't remember. Was, was Fozzie in this one? I don't think he was, was he? He, he was. Was he? Okay, there's our Fozzie outfit. person. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He's got yeah, his back in his, um, Yes, he looked adorable. That's right. He gets a second um, verse. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I've got to say, um, I am hard pressed to decide upon what my outfit of the week is uh, this week. I mean, everything elton wears i mean kermit's outfit for for this number is great um <laughs> it's 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 genuinely very difficult i think it's maybe elton's f- fourth number i think that's the outfit i want the pink the, the don't go breaking my heart yeah pink. the jumpsuit jumpsuit that's the, pink the one jumpsuit. yeah that's the one it's amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> but kermit looks so cute in his flat cap with his little neckerchief and the waistcoat i i don't think kermit's had that many outfits yet like he's got had the trench coat when he goes cuzbane yeah. and things but <laughs> on the whole and he has his tuxes but that's which... a sesame street holder too though the oh is it yeah, that, that's like muppet newsflash kermit yeah yeah but he hasn't had that many different outfits i don't think so it was quite nice to see him like dressed as a character for this one it is he's a little style icon <laughs> Yeah, they just needed to go back and fix that Muppet oh missing a pupil. Cause oh, it was yeah, creepy. the poor whatnot with one eye. <laughs> or at the very least, at the goodbyes, have him come on wearing like a pad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it was all intentional. I mean, he was actually just being incredibly professional. <laughs> he lost his eye, but he didn't finish. He finished the number. That's funny. <laughs> the show must go on. Exactly. <laughs> Emma, how much did you love? the uh transitions we got in this next Elton John number like the little wipes and like opening we haven't had one of those in such a long time I know 
know. I don't think we've seen like transition wipes since. Um, oh my gosh, what's his name? Joel Grey. That's it, Joel oh. Grey. Yeah, they were back in a vengeance. <laughs> They were quite classy. I like, well, as classy as, you know, those kind of things could be. I quite liked them. They looked like they were like almost like lip kind of shape. There was ones that mm. were like sort of triangular. But yeah, they were, I mean, I was kind of mesmerized by them. I was like, ooh, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't even make an eye. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> That's because I guess, Brian, you grew up with them, so maybe it's like less. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, we were denied. They were, we were denied these kind of like interesting editing options. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that was even like like this. It was a conscious decision, even in like Star Wars, like a conscious decision to use wipes in Star Wars. And there, I yeah. noticed them, but I, I actually didn't even notice it in this one. In this case, I guess. Yeah, there's some funky editing going on in Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. I thoroughly recommend going back and watching it again. You'll be, you'll be like. Oh my god! Like it's, no. it's so 70s. I mean, this is the one where I'm like, I've never decided to listen to "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road," and I was sitting there going, like, I know this song. Like, and even our parents didn't listen to Elton John, and I still knew it. Like, it's not like some of the 80s gold that Emma and I sort of were raised on <laughs> by our parents. Like, yeah, yeah, it's it is nuts how these songs just sort of permeate. I mean, I suppose if he's been doing the "Goodbye Yellow Brick Road" tour, <laughs> maybe I've just heard it from like a distance somewhere. <laughs> I think it's like ABBA or the Beatles or whatever though, isn't it? Like they're yeah. just so much part of the culture. Yeah, like it just it's... like permeates through time. Yeah. Mm. I really like that he was wearing that like yellow and emerald jacket and his hat with piano keys on was <laughs> so Alton, so great. Yeah. And I just felt like Electric Mayhem looked like they were all really happy to be playing along with this song Yeah, with I, I made that note as well. I said they looked really sweet and they were kind of like jamming along and just really mm. enjoying their time. Well, and that's that's sort of the note that I had made too, Emma, because I was trying to figure out, I wrote, I wrote playing live with a question mark on this one. Mm. I, I, you know, usually they would record the songs in advance uh, and then, you know, just lip sync to them. But I think when you've got somebody like Elton John, do you just perform them live? Because there, there was one point when Elton singing here when I was like, ooh, a little bit of a clam. And they just keep going. So I like mm. it, it, both in this one and in Don't Go Breaking My Heart, I wrote down playing live with a question mark on that because they sure sound live to me. Um, yeah, but I was also watching Elton's piano playing in that, and there's you know he's playing one part, but then there's you know there is music overdubbed on it. There's a, or the house band they're playing live. But anyway, it was just that was one where it was, I thought it was noticeable that perhaps they were actually singing live on this one. Yeah, I think they were too, and I feel like maybe that then obviously went through to the puppeteering of Electric Mayhem too. That they really did feel like they were. Yeah, I don't know. They just seem so in it, and they just yeah, doing it like, live. I think doing it live. Yeah, is fun. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Even though I don't really love the song, I thought it was a nice rendition <laughs> of it. I just the I won't do it because but the bit where he just sort of does the note up and down, like I don't really like that part of yeah, it. Yeah, well, that's the one where there's there's a little bit of a clam at one of those points. Yeah, in the song. Yeah, that's when I was like, they must be performing this live. And just to say on this one, with my research that I did, this got to number one in Canada, but it only got to number two in the United States. Oh, wow. So. Well, that was interesting. It's the first one so far that hasn't got to number one. <laughs> so. But I think he, like, I feel like he definitely picked, like, his biggest hits to be able to do on The Muppet Show. I feel like they were very, very carefully selected as, yeah. like, I want to do these big songs. 
Well, no, if, and if you were doing the if you were doing the research on the songs as as I I didn't quite go as in depth as you did, but I didn't realize that after "Don't Go Breaking My Heart," he didn't have another number one for like twenty nine years after that. Yeah, and and it might have been the the remake of "Candle in the Wind," I think, that did it finally. But it's mm. like, but I didn't realize Probably, like I thought stuff yeah. like "I'm Still Standing" and that stuff may never. Have I was gone about to, the to top. say I'm still standing. Probably didn't go to the yeah. top. He didn't get to number one. Yeah, so his next U.S. That's solo what number the one. I love that song. After "Don't Go Breaking My Heart" was "Candle in the Wind." He did have some other duet number ones. Like the one with George Michael, which I've... Oh, is it Don't Let the Sun Go Down Thank on Me? Thank you. Yep. Yeah. I just completely went out of my head. But also, really, really interestingly, Don't Go Breaking My Heart was actually his first UK number one, and it was also Kiki D's. And then he didn't get another UK number one as a solo artist. or So, in fact, he didn't get a UK number one as a solo artist until 1990 with Sacrifice. So his first UK number one was in 1990. I don't even know that one. I've never even, yeah. I think you'd both recognise it. It's quite annoying. Well, um, as, as it's clearly the case. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you know Elton John against your will. <laughs> well, not, you know, I'm sure um, he's done very well. But, but I, thought, yeah, I just like, thought that was interesting, like with Don't Go Break My Heart. I mean, we, we said before we have him at the height of his powers and we kind of do. And then like he, he almost like plateaued right here. Mm. But it's interesting that I'm Still Standing didn't, feels like such a... It's a bop. Yeah, it's a bop and it's also a real like marker in terms of his mm. career, but kind of interesting that maybe it didn't get to number one in that many places. Yeah. Okay. I know it's off subject, but the version of the video of that in Rocket Man cracks me up every time because it looks so much like the actual video. It just I know. Me. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's almost like a I mean, basically, it's like a shot-for-shot shot yeah, remake, it's just so isn't great. it? It's... Well, because some of it they've they've done like the Forrest Gump. Yeah, they did do that. Just yeah. Like, yeah. 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 But yeah, but you have that one and I guess that's why they call it the blues and Nikita. And there's a number of things out there that you know, but I I don't think they ever hit mm. number one. So but but yeah, mm. I'm still standing shocks me and didn't hit number one. Yeah, no, that's thank you that for attending really the Elton John Ted Talk portion of our show. <laughs> <laughs> that is basically pretty much all of my Elton history. So uh yeah, that's that is that yeah. is that portion over now. I mean if um, you want to know recent anything recent, apparently the he he's done the music for the the Devil Wears Prada musical that's doing like tryouts at the moment mm. apparently it's not good oh, <laughs> like it's, they're like like there's no uh yeah apparently not great yeah even andrew lloyd <laughs> weber has whistle down the wind so you know uh oh, oh andrew lloyd weber has quite a few clunker like <laughs> um but i i i had to go and my uh, my friend was in his uh cinderella uh that was that just closed thankfully uh i mean not for my friend although he had a horrible time on it anyway and god that show was <laughs> like awful you were begging for it to be midnight so somebody would turn back into a pumpkin you want to just make this end like uh, anyway anyway from pumpkins uh to pigs um we get a pigs in space sketch where it seems we are getting a kind of a bit more plot this time rather than like weird like sexism in space jokes <laughs> It's a bit more plot, but it's really set yeah. up just so you can get Swedish Chef and the Chicken running through. Yeah. Which also, I mean, I appreciated that from like the way that it obviously weaved in that runner, but it also still feels a bit like they're not necessarily leaning so hard into like the space aspect yeah, of pigs I in don't space. Get when you have a sketch that's literally set on a spaceship, and you're not just parried. Like, why aren't you just doing direct kind of parodies of? sci-fi plots and lost in space and instead we're getting just such odd material and i know this is like pedantic the only thing that did kind of annoy me about swedish chef and the chicken running through the sketch is 
they react to it in the sketch in world in character rather mm-hmm. than it being like they're trying to perform the sketch so oh, they run through and they the actors are like oh that was strange and then you know it's it's pedantic but it's kind of a bit reality breaking for me i kind of wish it had been just like Swedish chef and the chicken storm through this otherwise trying to get on with it pigs in space sketch if that makes sense I, nope I, I gotcha you're, it's, you're, it's what meta not quite the right word but yeah yeah it's just I don't know I think it would I just feel like it might have just been funnier I think a, that would have been way. funnier because you'd have had Piggy reacting like what like get out of my yeah. sketch yeah, of my kind scene. of thing yeah and then also you could have had a right at the end you could have had them trying to get back into character to mm. finish off the sketch there feels like there's more natural comedy there to mine. Yeah, literally have Swedish Chef and the chicken run through the little scanner, like accidentally hitting the like star map at the back and it like knocks <laughs> down and they're trying to like, you know, do you know what I mean? Like it just, the thing falls apart, you know? Yeah. This was another one where again, I think given that, you know, the digital quality of the shows now, you can really see how fuzzy uh, Link is in this one. Mm. Like I, that was another one I couldn't stop watching around his nose. You can see like almost like they've combed, like they've petted it or combed it out, and like it's going a different direction. Like you can really, really see the brush strokes now with the high def. Mm. Yeah, you can. You can really see like so much detail on the puppets that I, I mean, this is the first time we're watching it, but knowing what just photos of these Muppets look like normally, you, you just don't really usually see that much detail. It's like you could even um, see it on Piggy in the Don't Go Break My Head. I was almost like, ooh, I think Piggy's dirty. Like, I mean, it was <laughs> like, you can almost see the miles on her. It's really, it's really fascinating yeah. to watch now that you've got these really intense high def screens now. Yeah. Unforgiving. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. I did think this sketch just had a few like clunky bits in it as well. Like that whole bit about where they said like, oh, what's that red light? And then... Doctor Strange started talking about traffic lights and Piggy was like, no, not traffic lights. It's just like, oh, I don't like, I don't know. It's all what? like random like, kind of non sequiturs going yeah. nowhere. And, like, and why uh, Link is suddenly like, oh no, is it snakes? And you're like, what? It's like, <laughs> I know. It's like, go- like, where did that even come from? And then when he was like, I'm missing my like bowling shows. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like when you go and watch like an, a bad improv troupe and you're like, everybody, like the absurdity curve just kind of like goes, and you're just like, oh god, how much longer is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's like watching your children put on a show, and you're just like, oh god, no, yeah, this, exactly. none of this makes any sense. Like, yeah, <laughs> it did feel a bit like that, to be honest. And then by the time Swedish Chef turned up, you were like, okay, yeah, right, fine, this is happening now, is it? Okay, well, it did, it did feel a bit like, uh, you know, Monty Python, like ending the sketch, just dropping the one ton weight on people because you're like, just get out yep. of it, just drop the weight and yeah. get out of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it did feel like that. You're right. Although what I do love is by the time that sketch finishes and then we go back into backstage, the chicken has managed to get yes. the cleaver. Yeah. <laughs> and like, so now, like, I oh did my like goodness. that kind of like... That chicken goes crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's like that, Jade, it's like that um, SNL bird sketch. It's yeah. like, he's got a knife. <laughs> Please do something. The birds weren't raised right. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I did gasp with laughter when I saw that the chicken now had the cleaver. Yeah. It's like, this is great. A little bit of offstage escalation, like, yeah. perfect. Can any of you explain to me why they keep using the phrase, I'm dressed like a stolen car? I've never heard that phrase before in my life. I, I don't no, know that one either. either. Having even lived no, through I, that era, I don't know that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to say I was looking towards you, Brian, and be like, from, no. you know. We're all sat here being like, Brian, do you know this? No, I do not. <laughs> Brian, you were there. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was there, but I, I was nine, but I yeah. don't remember that one. 
I have no idea. Genuinely no idea. Right. I'm have they used it in another episode as well? No, no think... they just really leaned into it this week. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... I don't Makes me wonder if it's one of those things somebody heard and they're like, that's hilarious, and then they put it in. Like, <laughs> oh my God, literally, I've just put in Dressed Like a Stolen Car Origin and everything. the only thing that comes up is Elton John on The Muppet Show. <laughs> so they just made it up. Yeah, Muppet I think they fandom just made TV it up. tropes. I was at a town hall meeting yeah. once and like one of the speakers got up and she was very eloquent and she used the word behoove and then every speaker after that had to use the word behoove. So I didn't know if, <laughs> I didn't know if it was one of those things like that where everyone was like, that's a great phrase. And so they just kept throwing it in, but it doesn't actually mean anything. That's hilarious. If any of you at home know why, what the <laughs> yes, please come. Dressed like a stolen car means, please let us know. Please email pedanticsrus at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> I quite liked with this Sam the Eagle bit, though, that they continued Sam not only in his role as the, the cultural arbiter of the Muppets, but also that it follows on from the Nureyev episode where he knows absolutely nothing about culture. Like the fact that he's picking on Mozart as like, well, he was a fine upstanding young man who didn't dress up funny. And immediately yeah. everyone knows that that's obviously not true. And yeah, I just, I really love this idea that Sam thinks he knows everything and he actually knows nothing. It's, the Mozart joke, really I don't funny. know why, it made me laugh so hard when like Scooter walks out with the painting. Like, yeah, I know. Like, they just have the Mozart painting hanging up someplace back there. That, yeah. that, I don't know why that made me laugh out loud at that. And also like the explanation being like, look at what Elton John just gave me. It's yeah. like, why is Elton John just giving away Mozart paintings? Like, Elton brings along paintings of f- famous piano players that hang in his, in his dressing yeah. room yeah. or something. And just cra- that That's joke what's just, on his rider. It was just so ridiculous, it made me laugh out loud. Yeah. And then We've got, I mean, it's basically like Sam as Uncle Sam, but like bedazzled and glittery. and Uncle Sam does pride, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Like <laughs> All he needs is to be on like a float and a t-shirt cannon. But, but again, where it feels incomplete, you know, and Jade, you talked a little earlier yes. talking about, you know, with Sam and some of the stuff. Wouldn't you have thought that had that been planned out more carefully, you would have actually seen Sam take a bite out of the hat instead of like, yeah. know, like just the motion mm, yeah. of it? it, just, it yeah. Like it said, it didn't feel complete. No, and I really love the business with the screen. And there was a little bit with like the feathers going up and Sam went flying backwards, which I thought was oh, really I funny. Oh, I love that little, that little. But again, like with that, like they could have teased that out a bit more. Like I'm not mm. saying for it to go on and on, like obviously not, but you could have had a bit more of like his commentary about like, oh, I don't want to wear that. Again, it just felt a little bit rushed and a bit sort of throwaway. But yeah, yeah like I it's... mean, cut a minute from the Swedish chef sketch and yeah. put it into this so we <laughs> exactly get a bit. Right. So, so we don't have to suddenly be like Scooter walking on be like, here's a Mozart painting that Elton John gave me. <laughs> get in the outfit. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna like. I was watching this episode with an ever so slight hangover, and I, I was like, did I miss something? And like, <laughs> did I just like doze off for like ten seconds? But fine, it's fine. We get, you know, it gets it gets Sam in the outfit. So it also seems strange to me that Piggy has got the final number with Elton. And other than at the very start where she sort of says, oh, he's fantastic. Like, you don't really get an awful lot of Piggy as Piggy in this episode. Would you not have seen her backstage, like? absolutely so thrilled that she was getting the final duet with the guest star this week and that it's a you know it's a love song and that she's like it just seems really strange to me that we didn't get the excitement of piggy that she's she's doing it do you know what we could have had we could have had an entire runner where elton john and piggy are fighting about who gets the final number of the night Mm. as a solo and we get to have a scene where like piggy and elton john like have a fight in a dressing room and like you know like at the end they decide to do a duet like 
boom, there's an entire runner for you right there where you can just have Elton John mm. being a bitch. And it's like, great, perfect. But again, he would need to be able to act in order to be <laughs> I don't ask. think Elton, I think Elton John can be a bitch. Like, <laughs> I, think, I think he could lean into that. <laughs> Must have been something you could have done with like Dr. Teeth because he's a flamboyant dresser and a piano player. Yeah. And it seemed, yeah. like there, it seemed like there could have been something there with him or with Animal or somebody. They all kind of dress like Elton. A montage of... Uh, electric mayhem trying on his outfits yeah like you know yeah i don't know well and again dr teeth is literally based off of elton john yeah. like it was lovely to see them performing together but they they could have actually had have a elton meeting. come out in an exact dr teeth outfit and then have them both <gasps> oh that would have been great go, well one of us one of us well one of us is gonna have to change like you know that'd be... oh, that would have been amazing or have all the other so members cool. of the mayhem interact with him thinking he's actually dr teeth yes yes <laughs> Oh my god, you know, look, this is writing itself. There we go. Exactly. <laughs> Instead of that, we get like no backstage business in this episode. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, you're right. You kind of we... have to know Miss Piggy's story for that to make sense that she would get the final song. Yeah. You have to bring bring a lot to it already. They're not doing it in the episode. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But I've got to say, sure. what a what a final number we do get. It does feel sort of low-key iconic, just watching Piggy oh. bop around with gorgeous hair. Her hair was luxurious. And like, <laughs> it was like a shampoo commercial. Did you catch that she called him Poopsie at one point? That's <laughs> 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 And kissing his chest hair. Oh my God, the, the chest Several hair. Several times. And the Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's where she got the mark on her nose from. Maybe like, <laughs> oh. you know darkened it a little he's got some like bronzer on his chest but that's another one i, I wrote down live that. singing on here i swear that that entire yeah, thing is yeah live. i also love the part sorry brian where she said eat your heart out kiki that was yeah, hilarious eat your heart out, kiki. they just both looked like they were having so much fun like elton was beaming the whole way through mm. my only one slight note on it is that like piggy was spent the whole thing with her head tilted up looking at him or kissing him and I felt like the blocking and the camera mm. angle didn't quite work 100% of the time because you couldn't always see Piggy's face but actually like what that did mean was that the, their interaction felt really natural and they were mm. both like so invested in the song together that there was a real sweetness and yeah there was they were just holding each other yeah, yeah. it genuinely did feel very iconic like yeah like, uh, it was and like, it's moments the- like this that make you really want to see Oz like how was like I would have loved to have seen the behind the scenes with Oz performing Piggy doing like when you see him yes. doing you know a woman with uh Raquel Welsh you know I mean it's like just these just watching this this man perform this woman singing this part I would yeah. have loved to have seen seen what was going on down below I can never get over how Frank Oz's ability to go into that kind of like upper register of his voice yeah and be able to not only just perform piggy when she, particularly when she's like being very growly and be like knock it off and like and like keep it consistent but then to be able to sing in it as well it's a it's it's kind of amazing yeah. actually and to, to then be puppeteering That's yeah amazing. well i mean i remember in, in, in talking with a lot of the muck performers they would say you know it's one thing to find the right voice for the character great now can you sing in it <laughs> you know mm-hmm. can, can you whisper can you whisper in it can you laugh in it uh, and that's you know this kind of stuff we don't we don't even think about no it was a gorgeous number and it was so much fun it's this is definitely my i think my favorite uh, no this is my favorite number even more so than the crocodile rock i think this is just <laughs> yeah it's a joy it's a real joy and yeah i i don't know it's 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 hard to know what to say about it other than just like 
it's so lovely. And it made yeah, me you so can't happy. Really, there's nothing, there's nothing <laughs> much, but they, you know, the, his outfit's amazing. And it's very Elton, and it's the one time, he's not necessarily acting, but when they first cut over to him standing there in that outfit, he kind of like wiggles his eyebrows at the camera. Like, mm. that's yeah. like, you're like, there's Elton, there it is. Like, that's yeah. what we yeah. need out of you right there. That's kind of what I meant about he felt like he got ever so slightly more comfortable to me yeah. as the episode went on. Like, I assume they shot it in order, and I felt like he did feel slightly more like okay, I've got this now, like, I know what I'm doing, and, like, maybe it was even actually the fact that he wasn't just sat behind the piano with this one, like, that he was up and mm. dancing with Piggy as well, like, there was, I don't know, yeah, it did, it did just feel a lot more like Elton as we know him. Yeah. I mean, from Elton's outfit, obviously we go to the, we go to the, the sort of goodbyes, and everybody is in there suddenly, like, they're slightly ramshackle, but adorable. Oh, Kermit is John outfits. Yeah, oh, it looks so cute, and I just I I know you don't, you don't really take it in sometimes, but his he's got a very round body, and then the tiny little arms. But it's when he was wearing that little jumper, the stripy jumper. I was sort of like, God, you've got a little Easter egg body. Like it's <laughs> such a little sort of like he turned sideways. I was like, mm, horizontal stripes. Like they always yeah. tell you, <laughs> they're not flattering. <laughs> but even Stadler and Waldorf have got in on the action as well. Like yeah. I love that they're. He was wearing like a Nosferatu cape. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was quite like. <laughs> Yeah, they all looked so good at the end for the goodbyes. It was, they did. it was beautiful. I wish that had been slightly more extended, just so we could appreciate all of their outfits that little bit more. Because there's just but so Jane, many. We of them had to run thing. around the kitchen island a third time. Like there, there, there was positive. <laughs> but see again, you, space. You, you could have had the Sam plot line because the joke then there is that Elton comes out in his very boring normal clothes. Yeah. Like, you mm. could have had that going on the entire episode, like the, same, the mm. whole Sam thing. I mean, that's clearly mm. the, supposed to be, I think, the exclamation point on the Sam storyline. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, because also Alton gets the punchline of, you all look like stolen cars. So oh, right. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Which, again, just means nothing. <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> means nothing. It's the way we talked in the 70s, kids, and we like it. <laughs> <laughs> Radical. Oh, wait, no, that's probably That's 80s. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I was in high school in the 80s. I can attest that that was high school 80s. <laughs> Radical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, but then, it, I don't know, yeah, that is just so weird that the Sam Runner only starts halfway through the episode. I don't understand. Yeah. It's really strange. It, there has to be some stuff that was cut. There well, it's interesting, too, to be. because I, I thought maybe I had missed part of it when I went and read the Muppet Wiki entry on this because the Muppet Wiki entry starts with Sam the Eagle criticizing the way he dressed. So I'm like, did I, I was like, did they recut this for Disney? Mm. Did I miss something? I had to go back and make sure I hadn't missed like an opening runner or something. So Mm. I'm, yeah. I don't know. Beats me. I think that's just Muppet Wiki trying their best to... to trying to, to make a storyline. <laughs> yeah. yeah, literally. Like, I think it is. Like I a... think it's like what... like When they obviously write the synopses, it's like, what's the storyline here? And they're like, I guess it's this in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Godspeed. Because some of those season one episodes, it'd be like... <laughs> it's like you'd be looking at being like... I don't know. Like it'd be like it'd be like trying to write the plot synopsis for like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. I'm sure you can almost hear Jerry Joel wringing his hands, especially in the first season, because like he that that wasn't the direction he wanted to go, and he finally like mm. gets control of like the head writer job, and then you get episodes like this where I'm sure he was just like mm. Lord Lord knows. We've been sort of having an ongoing discussion about you know trying to work out whether the Muppet Show is uh, sort of Jade put it best. It's like is it a variety show with some backstage scenes or is it a, a sort of a workplace sitcom that happens to take place at a variety show and also involves some performances mm. yeah yeah and it's really it's interesting how it kind of it veers and like season one definitely felt more variety show 
And this one feels a lot more like the backstage plots are getting stronger. The runners are getting more character based rather than just sort of like chuck tossing out puns, you know, for 25 minutes. Right. Um, so it's strange when we get to an episode like this, having seen the development we've had over season two. And then this one feels a little bit of a step back, but it's still a lot of fun. But just, yeah, you know, maybe we just blame Elton. <laughs> maybe he was just like, I need to do four songs. I'm only coming if I can <laughs> yeah, do four I can songs. See that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I haven't read it. I mean, does Elton talk about this at all in his memoir? I mean, I would love to, I would love to know Elton's take on doing the Muppet Show. Yeah. It's a good question. I didn't. I mean, I can't say I've read it. Emma, just dad have the book <laughs> no i don't think i don't i don't know my sister has it because she's quite a big elton john fan so i could ask her and i mean i wonder what her. he was going through like was he in rehab at this point or like i mean just what's going on with him personally maybe that's part of the reason why his acting is just like <laughs> not there he's on a massive come down that's yeah I mean, well, like... seriously i mean who knows like he could have been yeah, covering could it be. up and... yeah 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 let's we'll look at the status of elton john in late 77 yeah yeah, less lines of dialogue, more lines of coke. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be very interested to see how we're uh, we're each going to rank the episode. But first, we must decide on our MVMP, our most valued Muppet performer. Jade, do you want to kick us off this week? Yeah, I'll kick us off. So I've gone for Miss Piggy because honestly, don't go breaking my heart. Her performance in Don't Go Breaking My Heart was just out of this world. So good. Like the way that she was singing and bopping around with Alton, all of the kisses off his chest was just oh, yeah. like just such piggy, pure, unadulterated uh, lust that she has. And I just really, really loved that. She was obviously sort of solid, I guess, as Nurse Piggy and as First Mate Piggy in Veterinarian's Hospital and Pigs in Space as well. But honestly, Don't Go Breaking My Heart just clinched it. Like, just. Oh, Miss Piggy is just the best. I love her so much. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to go for Miss Piggy for my MVMP this week. Emma, how about you? Well, I don't know. I found it quite tricky this week just because we don't solidly see someone like throughout the episode. So there's no mm. kind of like plot to anyone really. Everyone just appears in their bits. But I think I'm actually going to give it to Kermit simply because I like the fact that he stood he stuck to his principles and didn't try and sing along to Benny and the Jets <laughs> I feel like that would be me I'd just be like yeah I don't know the song I'm just gonna bop bop around and uh <laughs> not try I love and... that you're giving it to Kermit for not joining in yeah <laughs> for not engaging <laughs> not engaging and for that killer um, shrug yeah yeah. And for the killer shrug as well. So yeah, I think this week, and also I loved his little outfit at the end and the goodbyes. That was <laughs> oh, great. So that was amazing. Um, he so, should yeah. bring that back. He should bring that yeah. back. Actually, I think on the um, the Muppets Instagram, they used that as one of their pictures recently. Oh, oh, yeah, which I think so is cute. really cool. Um, so that's kind of like world building again, isn't it? But yeah, just to go back to my MVMP for this week, it's going to be Kermit the Frog. Um, how about you, Brian? Uh, I'm going to go with Scooter. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I was just about to like end this call. I was like, goodbye. <laughs> don't send Don't send us your audio. We don't need it. <laughs> so my, my runner up is um, Annie Sue with the pink wig this week, I think. Um, just having living her best life, having a blast back there. And also she I'm is. just so happy that Louise has joined along. 
Um, I'm actually going to give it to, he's not in very much, but he just absolutely crushes it. And again, seems to be having a genuinely great time. I'm going to give it to Rolf this week for that veterinarian's hospital yep. appearance, which I think is just fantastic. <laughs> very natural, very funny. I mean, very animated and just having him there with, with Baskerville again, just warmed my heart. So. And that little look of fear he had when he felt the audience start to turn. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> starting like, to turn, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like and, and, little, and little touches, like you were talking about, like looking for the horns. I mean, I just, I just yeah, love when they, when, so when Rolf, when Rolf is there. Yeah. Oh, who am I going to go for? I mean, I think I'm just going to have to go for Miss Piggy. And it feels like I'm. It feels like it is going to be just Miss Piggy running away with this entire season a bit. But the whole number with. Ellen is really for me the highlight of the episode I mean I would have maybe given it to the crocodile had they no do you know who I'm going to give it to I'm going to give it forget Miss Piggy I'm giving it to the chicken when it has the cleaver that's who I'm going to give it to <laughs> specifically when it yeah, has the cleaver chicken brackets with cleaver I'm putting into the spreadsheet do you know I think the chickens might be taking this season Lewis we've given it to the chickens quite we, a lot yeah more than we anticipated <laughs> like yeah any 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 animal that is suddenly armed i think it's always hilarious like it's just really funny <laughs> like the like the when the so, lobsters come through that one episode and they all have the lobsters oh with my their God. the lobster like, banditos yeah, yes like there's nothing funnier yeah. they are the yeah. best so chicken with a cleaver uh for my mvmp this week right let's get on to our rankings emma what are you going to give this episode out of 10 this week? So for this week, I'm going to give this episode 7 Crocodile Rocks out of 10. Nice. I've purely gone for this rating based on kind of what we said throughout this episode today. The songs are amazing. You know, I love an Electric Mayhem and their interaction with Elton. And then also, obviously, Don't Go Breaking My Heart with Piggy and Elton. But as we've already said, any part where Elton is acting is just frankly terrible um and that kind of brought down my rating for this episode i was super excited because i was like oh it's elton john it's gonna be amazing i might give it my highest score yet but kind of looking back on what we've already seen i was like no it doesn't quite hit that because there is no like backstage business really there's no like a and b plot there's no like runner there's you know what i mean it's just missing those little bits just to kind of make it a whole complete episode for me um, so that's why for this particular episode, I'm going to give it seven crocodile rocks out of 10. How about you, Jade? <sighs> yeah, I I have to agree with largely with what you said, Emma. Like, I think it is a little bit disappointing given how great Elton's performances are that mm. the rest of the episode doesn't feel like it quite lives up to that. Mm. So I'm going to go for six and a half little green tongues out of 10, which is what Sam says to Kermit. It's like, hold your little green tongue, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, yeah, all of the performances are great. I think they're all really lovely. Um, I think there's some nice moments in it as well. But as a whole, I just don't think it quite coheres into like one of the better episodes of this season that we've had by no means the worst at all like I think it's still a very very enjoyable episode of television but yeah it just feels like there's something missing or that they didn't quite develop some of the plot enough to make it reach those like heady heights that we know they're capable of so yeah six and a half little green tongues out of ten Brian, shall I shall I throw to you? Sure. Um, so I, when we had talked ages ago, I, I've listed this as one of the episodes I really wanted to do. And then after I watched it, I was like, wow, that, I didn't remember that having nothing going on. I, mm. And I'm not, I don't mean it in like a totally negative way, but like, I mean, it's like, 
it's Elton John. And it's kind of where we've all yeah. landed on this one. It's Elton John. It should be awesome. And Elton John is awesome in it, but I didn't realize there was nothing happening in it. Um, <laughs> I just remembered, you know, Elton John and I remembered Crocodile Rock so much. So um, I'm going to give this two and a half Mozart paintings out of four, I think, um, <laughs> largely because we don't have a through line, which is what really yeah. makes the Muppet Show the Muppet Show. But the Elton, the performances are really strong on this. You know, again, the, the Miss Piggy and Elton duet is, uh, is top 10, I think all time of the performances yeah. on there. Um, but I think, I think the lack of any coherent narrative, I think is what, is what moves this one down on there. I, I don't think I really have much more. It's it's the it's the same critiques as as everybody. It just um, whenever Elton's singing, it's great. Whenever he's not, it's not. It's it's not great. Uh, so I'm just gonna give it. I think probably six pink afro wigs out of ten. Um, don't wear just, it to Abba. I would wear it to Abba. I, I would wear that pink jumpsuit. I mean, I'd wear that to the shops happily. Like. Actually, I would wear it for my birthday next week uh, if if it wouldn't. I, if I don't like bake myself alive in this heat at the moment. Um, so now we have to mosey on over to uh, Jade's Muppet. <laughs> I still can't remember what we're calling this now. Jade's Muppet Book Club Corner. Like it club. I think quite... we added another club. On oh yeah, I Jade's think Muppet many Book clubs. Club Corner Club, uh, <laughs> where for the first entirety of the first season, we shamelessly uh, read through <laughs> Brian's book and uh, excerpted. I think excerpted. Uh... Yes, we did credit it every time, but oh, we didn't. Fair. We didn't pay you any money. It's been out almost ten years. I'm glad people are still reading it. Oh yeah, it's it's great. I thoroughly recommend it to anyone who feels like I didn't they the didn't get their money's worth of the sections I read yeah. <laughs> should have you guys do the uh, an, season... another audio book for it that we released yeah <laughs> But uh, so this season we're doing we're uh, well Jade is working her way through of Muppets and Men. Uh, so Jade, what do you have for us this week? Well, I actually don't have of Muppets and Men this week. What? <laughs> <laughs> I have Jim Henson the Works. Yay! Oh, look at that! I made a point of talking with Christopher Finch when I was writing the biography, and he's a lovely, oh. lovely, lovely guy. He, he, oh. He's as lovely as you want him to be. Just throwing that in there. Oh, well, that's good. That is lovely. I should. I really should get round to reading his book at some point. <laughs> like I should. Only had it for like four years. So fine. I wasn't really sure what to pick for this week because it was a bit of a strange episode in terms of like not really having that many things to kind of springboard off of um, in terms yeah. of what to talk about. But one of the things that um, so I've only recently just got this book, so I've just started working my way from the front. And there's a lovely. Well, there's three. Uh, you know, in- how you read a book? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working my way from the front. <laughs> I started with the index first and went to the end notes. <laughs> I'm yeah. a real rebel, Lewis, okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, there's three introductions in it, and um, one of them is from Candice Bergen, and it's actually oh, taken from a speech that she made about Jim Henson during the 1990 Emmy Awards ceremony. And I just thought it was a really, really lovely tribute to Jim. And I thought, seeing as we have Brian on this week, who is obviously the preeminent Jim historian, and also that this episode just feels very, very joyful. I thought it was a really lovely um, thing for us to do to sort of pay tribute to Jim through Candace's words. Over the years, television has produced a few individuals blessed with the ability to touch our hearts, our minds and our lives with their vision. It's not so much that these special people march to a different drummer, but that they carry their own orchestras around with them in their heads. And when we allow them to play their tunes, the sound reverberates for generations. They make us think and they make us laugh. Such a special individual was my friend Jim Henson. 
My first connection with Jim came from the fact that he was a great admirer of my father, Edgar Bergen. They were both soft-spoken, sensitive, creative people, and the man who gave us Charlie McCarthy was always the first to acknowledge the genius of the man behind Kermit the Frog and all the other Muppets. Jim dedicated the Muppet movie to my father, and I was one of the first guests to perform in the now legendary Muppet show. Who can talk about Jim without bringing up another connection? The one that extended in all his bright green innocence from Jim's right arm. The sane and sensible savant of the swamps, Kermit the Frog. In the Muppet movie, Kermit expressed for Jim the optimism and the hope that formed the underlying theme of all of his work. Here's how he put it. I've got a dream too, but it's about singing and dancing and making people happy. That's the kind of dream that gets better the more people you share it with. And well, I found a whole bunch of friends who have the same dream, and it kind of makes us like a family. Jim made us all like a family because we were drawn into his dream. We'll continue to be fans and faithful followers and family because we know he leads us to the best of places. Writer Robert Louis Stevenson wrote, That man is a success who has lived well laughed often and loved much, who has gained the respect of intelligent men and the love of children, who has filled his niche and accomplished his task, who leaves the world better than he found it, who looked for the best in others and gave the best he had. That sounds like a perfect description of my friend Jim Henson. God, that's such a lovely speech. I know, it's gorgeous, isn't it? She gave that from the stage, right? At the Emmys? She did, yes, she gave it at the Emmys. So I like, feel like now I, I want to look it up and find the find the clip of it, but... Really, really lovely, lovely speech. Yeah. And I just thought it was a a nice tribute to, to Jim. <laughs> the reason we're all here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much for joining us again uh, uh, on, uh, on Muppet I promise this one so worked this time. I keep checking over here. <laughs> <and sharing it. laughs> oh, we did <laughs> it. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Let's wait, Jade. Let's wait until Poor the Jade. moment. Last time Jade emails when I go, what? <laughs> 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 oh, we had to. I had. To, we had to have a very strong drink. We like. I think the bit that was the most just gutting was just that we'd all had so much fun <laughs> chatting with you, and we were just like, "Oh God, that's just been lost." Like it was, <laughs> and now like, it means nothing. Yeah, it just was like, "Oh, I, we were so looking forward to." P- other people hearing our lovely conversation, yeah. I guess. Basically. And did you guys end up doing like, the Steve Martin episode anyway? Yeah, we, we did, did. Yeah, we, we did gave it. ourselves a little break. Uh, like, we, so we went ahead and we did some other episodes and then came back yeah. to it. Um, just so we we weren't sort of saying, oh, there was this really nice bit when we were talking to Brian. Just so it wasn't quite so, uh, you know, uh, sad. But um, Brian, thank you. Uh, really, uh, it's 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 always a pleasure. Um, where can people find you if they if they if they want to? You, you can always find me. Uh, my website is Brian J. Jones. Spell my middle name out or you get the dead Rolling Stone. BrianJJones.com. <laughs> and I'm um, running my mouth on Twitter constantly under the same name, uh, trying to trying to drop a lot of Muppet facts. I actually do keep the column uh, running on my tweet deck that has the name Jim Henson in it. So sometimes if you're talking about Jim Henson, I might actually drop in on your conversation and uh, participate <laughs> there. So. There you go. Well, there you go. It's a promise <laughs> or a threat. That's a promise. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Muppetational. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and review as it really helps spread the word about the podcast. You can follow us on social media. We are at Muppetational on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and Facebook. You can contact us at hiho at muppetspodcast.com and you can find out more about us and the podcast at muppetspodcast.com.
gmail.com. Um, this has been an absolute delight. Brian, thank you so much again for joining us. Um, until next week, I've been Lewis Chandler. I've been Jade Turner. And I've been Emma Chandler. We shall see you next week on another episode of Muppetational. Bye! Bye! Bye. Our theme music is Peppy Pepe by Kevin MacLeod and our artwork is designed by Charlotte Rudge who you can follow at at charlie underscore r underscore rudge on Instagram. That was a funny show. Yes, it was. I wonder if they meant it that way. (laughs) 